Um, this is weird. This is interesting. This is different. I'm uncomfortable because I'm not used to preaching from a stage. But I'm trying to be an example and practice social distancing because that's kind of what they recommend. And I think it would be awkward if I just said it right in front of my family. Um, they would be a little uncomfortable with that. But we've got a lot of changes that have been taking place, a lot of changes that are happening, and a lot of things that, because of those changes, they're making me uncomfortable. And I'm not a fan of that feeling. I like a little bit of discomfort because I know that it can be beneficial. I don't like a lot of discomfort. A lot of discomfort and... Um, I don't respond very well. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard not knowing exactly where things are going or what things are going to look like. I am pleasantly surprised to see as many faces as I have here today because I didn't actually anticipate that. I thought it was going to be like, I don't know, me and the front row over here and that was about it. I thought they were only going to come because I was going to compel them to be here and leave them no choice. But I think because of everything that's been happening, everything that's going on, and because there is, is so much change, today is kind of a perfect day for us to look at the Word and really see a message that I believe God has for us today. Because I know when it comes to change, I know when it comes to the, the uncomfortable feeling that accompanies change, I'm not alone in this. I know that I'm not the only one that doesn't like the change and that kind of rejects the change and pushes it away and resists it because of that discomfort. I guarantee you guys on some level are sitting there and thinking, yeah, I can, I can kind of relate to that. Um, you know, I, when you think about walking out into public, you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station. I have never seen this many people wear masks in this nation ever. The only place I have ever seen that was when traveling overseas and I was in China and that was due to air pollution, not a virus. I thought it was a virus, but no, I found out it was air pollution. I mean, really, I haven't seen this much personal protective equipment since, like, trying to go into an ICU or do, you know, visit people. It, it just doesn't happen. But yet, now you're getting it when you're going to the grocery store to buy toilet paper. If you can even find toilet paper. And speaking of toilet paper, have you noticed that, like, the price of our food and our groceries are going up? while the price of our gas and our fuel is going down? It's like, hey, now it's very affordable for us to travel everywhere, but they don't re recommend we travel anywhere. It's this, this, this change, this shift that's taking place. Maybe your work has completely changed. Many people have been laid off or their entire job has now been shifted because in order for you to carve out a place for them, well, we've got to send this person to the side and now you're going to have to pull double duty and do their job as well. Or because of everything that's taking place, especially with coronavirus, you just don't have a job. Hello, ASPN. That's right. I left my phone on. 
Speaking of ESPN, think about it this way. Talk about changes. I'm used to watching ESPN and seeing like the, the big four. I'm used to seeing football. I'm used to seeing baseball. I'm used to seeing basketball. I'm used to seeing hockey. I am not used to seeing cornhole tournaments. <laughs> but that's what's happening. This is a change. That being said, I'm not mad about it because somehow it's kind of entertaining. Uh, our, our work is different. Our worship is different. I mean, yes, a couple years ago, I could foresee the time when I would be preaching to a camera and the people on the other end of that lens. I could see this. I could envision this. But I was one of a minority that could see that and envision that. And now we've got ministers that have been in the game for decades, longer than I've even been alive. And they're jumping on social media, they're jumping on video, and they're able to then minister the word in that context. And so our worship has even shifted. It's a lot of these things in our world that is, that is shifted, that is changed, and there's this uncomfortable feeling that goes with it. And sometimes we just outright reject these things because it's too different. Sometimes we'll get so upset about the change that is coming that we can't embrace it. And when we can't embrace it, we can't embrace the good things that would come from it. This is a sad reality. It's a sad commentary on the human condition. But then when I'm thinking about things that are changing, even though many things have changed, many more things should change. I sit there and I think about where we're at in this day and age here in the United States. The world is watching the United States become more divided than it has ever been. I mean, it's, it's sad that we are treating people of color the same way we are treating people that are unborn. And yet there are people on both sides of it that will stand up for one and not the other. This is just, it's breaking my heart. And the world is watching us do careless, reckless, stupid acts. And I'm not even talking about the non-believers. I'm not even talking about the non-Christians. I don't expect them to behave like Christ. But I expect the Christians to behave like Christ, and we can't. We don't. And it makes me wonder, are we even Christ-like? Are we even willing to change? Are we even willing to look at ourselves and think, you know what? Maybe there is a racist bone in my body. Maybe I need to fix that. Because Christ didn't see races. The only race that Christ saw was the human race. And he came for all of us. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm beginning to think that Casting Crowns song was prophetic. They said, if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? When we're not reaching out to those who need us to reach out to them, can we really claim that we're the body of Christ? 
When there are those that are hurting and we're not willing to help them and provide healing, can we really say that we're the body of Christ? And when the world has no idea how to love and we're not willing to teach them how to love because we don't even know how to love one another, can we really say that we're the body of Christ? Why are we so afraid of change? Why are we so afraid of change? And sure, some people are hearing this message and they're thinking, I'm not afraid of change. Take a moment and think about your preferences and what you like. You say you think you're not afraid of change, but how accepting are you of different or differing opinions? You say you're not afraid, but how tolerant are you of new vocabulary, unfamiliar forms of worship even, and terminology? If we're not afraid, why do we become instantly triggered when somebody says something or does something? It pushes against our norm. I think I'm in this uncomfortable place of trying to pastor post-COVID-19, during COVID-19, and everything is different. Everything that I knew about pastoral ministry has completely been flipped on its head. And yet it's actually a good thing. Because it's pushing me to be less like me and more like Christ. And yet the, the hard part is, is when we're in this moment of just being so afraid of change. That fear comes in because our focus is on the wrong thing. See, now, don't get me wrong. This message is going to be a hard pill to swallow. But I'm swallowing this pill too. Because it's necessary. If there is any hope for the world, it's going to start in a church. It's going to start with the body of Christ. And the only way that hope is going to reach people is if we're willing to share it. What I really want us to be able to do through this message and through this new series that we're starting. This is going to be week one of four. We're looking, we're calling it Pentecost. It's the comforter has come. And so we're looking at the Holy Spirit. But what I hope is that through this message, all of us will stay focused on God. All of us will fix our hearts, our minds, and attention on Him. Because while everything else in the world changes, God does not. He's the only one, the only thing, if you would use that term, that will never change and should never change. Because He's the only perfect one. If it's perfect, it doesn't need fixed. 
He's perfect. He doesn't need to change. But we are imperfect, which means we must change. Max Licato has this quote, and he says that you can endure change by pondering his permanence. You can endure change by pondering his permanence. If we think about how God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he never changes, that his word never changes, that permanence is the thing that we can hold on to when everything else is not. When everything else is changing, God is the same. You see, unfortunately, I truly believe that the vast majority, and I know that's kind of a redundant term, vast and majority, but I truly believe that the vast majority of Christians are weak, selfish, ignorant, fearful human beings. How's that for an encouraging message? Think about this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I know many people have read that and they've seen it. And if you read out of the New King James Version like I have, you're going to see that this has a lowercase s. 2 Timothy 1.7, showing a lowercase s for spirit. And a lot of people will sit there and say, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that is our inner man. That is our spirit. And in most cases, I would say that is right. In this case, I just don't believe it's right. And I want you to look at, what is it, verse 14. Actually, verse 13 and 14. He says, Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You see, in this context, I truly believe that he's not talking about God has not given us a spirit as in our own spirit, but God has not given us a spirit as in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't something that we're to fear. But the Holy Spirit comes in, and what does it say? It tells us in Scripture, uh, was it John the Baptist talks about this in Luke chapter 3. He says, you know, I've baptized in water, but there's one who's coming after me, whose laces I'm not even worthy to tie up, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus then tells us later on in in Luke that we're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and power, that we're to remain in Jerusalem until we're endued with power from on high. And so what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, When the Holy Spirit comes in us, when the Holy Spirit surrounds us, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit that gives us power to overcome our weakness. A spirit that gives us love to overcome our selfishness. And a spirit that gives us a sound mind to overcome our ignorance. You see... Even the disciples were fearful. Even the disciples who were living with Jesus, who were spending their days with Jesus, were afraid. They were afraid. They were selfish. They were ignorant. 
And they were weak. They were so weak. Matthew 8, 26, there's this storm that's brewing. They're in the boat. They wake Jesus up and they're like, hey, are you going to let us die? And he says, why are you so afraid? That word afraid there is the exact same word for fear used in 2 Timothy 1.7. Why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> and I love this because Jesus is pairing fear and faith. And he's saying there's a problem here. When you are afraid, you've got little faith. It's not to say that you don't have faith. Actually, that word of little faith, it's talking about a small faith. It's talking about an underdeveloped faith. Your faith hasn't been developed to the point that you can see clearly. You don't have the power. You don't have the love. You don't have the sound mind. And because of that, you're afraid. You're full of fear. And really, we have no need to be full of fear when we can be full of the Holy Spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. John 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, the beginning of the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in the midst of them, and said, Peace be with you. They were afraid. These people had been walking with Jesus for three years. And all of a sudden, Jesus dies. And what do they do? They go into hiding. When Jesus wasn't physically present with them, their flesh took over. Their faith was underdeveloped at this point. They didn't have a spirit beyond the spirit of fear. And so they had no power, they had no love, they had no sound mind, and they cowered in fear. And Jesus comes and says, peace, peace. And then in response to this, to make sure they had peace, in verse 22, look at what Jesus says to them. He says this, he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He finds them afraid, tells them they need peace, and he's like, and here's how it's going to come. Receive the Holy Spirit. See, the disciples went through the same feelings that we've gone through. These same feelings of really being afraid of change. Because it's uncomfortable, because we can't see it, because we don't know what's going on. And yet Jesus was telling them over and over and over again, it is to your benefit that I leave you. If I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. And you want Him. But Jesus takes it a step further and He's even telling them, He's like, hey, even if I go, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. He didn't really leave them. Even though He left them. Why? Because Jesus Himself was filled with the same Holy Spirit that you and I ought to be filled with. That's how Jesus had power, love, and a sound mind. That same Spirit was upon Him. The Spirit that anointed Him 
to do good and heal all people. I want you to turn to the book of Acts and let's go to Acts chapter 2 because I want you to see what happens on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Because here we find ourselves, May 31st, 2020, and this is Pentecost. If you didn't know what Pentecost means, Penta really means 50. And so Pentecost is just 50 days after Easter. It's the second of the three Jewish feasts. There are three Jewish feasts that, that all men had to return to Israel for. There was Passover. 50 days later, there was Pentecost. And then in the fall, there was the Feast of Tabernacles. And yet, Pentecost is also referred to as the Feast of Weeks because there were seven weeks from Passover seven weeks in one day from Passover to Pentecost. So it's referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Day of First Fruits. Because it's as this harvest is starting to come. On the Day of Pentecost is when they would gather those first fruits. I want you to think about that first fruits as we read Acts chapter 2. Let's start here in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly they came from a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those who dwell in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said that they were full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This was Peter standing up. The same Peter. Afraid and weak Peter. The same Peter that got that power. 
See, we need power to overcome our weakness. Peter needed power to overcome his weakness. Peter's weakness is what led him to deny Jesus three times. But this same Peter, now that he has received power because he has been filled with the Holy Spirit, is able to stand up in front of thousands of people, many of whom were mocking them, and declare boldly the word of God. He stands up and he just preaches to them. And this, this is amazing. Peter received that power. And because he had the power He was able to be bold. He was able to overcome his weakness and now find a strength that he didn't have. That same type of power is what's referred to by the man Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, this saying had pleased them. They were looking for people that they could appoint over taking care of the widows and orphans. And and they said, well, let's find these men of good report. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith means there must be some men who aren't full of faith. And when I see the link here of a man full of faith, he's also full of the Holy Spirit. If you look down at verse 8, here's what it says. It says, Stephen, full of faith and power. Hmm. A few verses prior, he's full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and now he's full of faith and power. You see, if we here at full faith want to be full of faith, we better be full of power. We better be full of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what's going to overcome our weaknesses. That's what's going to get us out of this place of fear, especially the fear of the change that's coming. Jesus was trying to prepare Peter for a change that was coming. He was trying to get him to bridle his tongue at moments, speak when he needs to speak, be quiet when he needs to be quiet. He was trying to teach him that. And yet Peter, when he needed to speak up, he wouldn't speak up and instead he denies Jesus. And Jesus restores him and he's like, hey, here's how you have to take this. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go feed my sheep. And then when the power came, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up. He preaches boldly. He proclaims the word of God. The power helped him overcome his weakness. We need the Holy Spirit because we need power to overcome our weakness. The other thing that we need is we need love to overcome our selfishness. Yes, change is difficult, but change is necessary. God's the only one who doesn't change and shouldn't change. He's perfect. We're not. Which means if we're not perfect, we need to change. It means something's missing. Something's malfunctioning. And if you would listen to what the words of Jesus say through the Gospels, there's one central theme that he keeps saying over and over and over again. You ever had those moments as a child 
Where it's like, why do mom and dad keep telling me the same thing over and over and over again? It's like they're a broken record. They just keep skipping. And yes, that's definitely a boomer statement because the young ones don't even understand what a broken record is. (laughs) But what happens as parents, we keep telling our kids the same thing over and over again. Why? Because they're still not doing what we told them to do. And Jesus kept telling us over and over and over again, love each other. Love one another. You haven't figured this out. Love. It's like God so loved, he gave. Jesus coming in and he's trying to make sure that we would understand love. He's constantly talking about love. What is it? Matthew 13, 34. I think we've got some of these. I'm going off the top of my head. Uh, There's no greater love than to lay your life down for another. And then the next one, I think, uh, in Matthew 22, maybe. He talks about these commands. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, every ounce of your being, everything that you have in you. Love God. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) And then even in, what is it? Uh, Another one in John, I believe. That Jesus is talking about this. And he's like, hey, a new command I'm going to give you. Here's a new command. Love one another. (laughs) It's like, what? Love one another. And this isn't even a new command. It's not a new command. Go back to Exodus. Read the Ten Commandments. If you read the Ten Commandments, you see that half of them are all about us loving God. And the other half are all about us loving our neighbor. That's why Jesus says, hey, these two that I give you, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in this. Love each other. When Jesus says this new commandment I give you, the reason he's saying the new command I give you is to love one another is because he says, it's by this people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. This is why Jesus also told us that we are to crucify our flesh. That we are to deny ourselves. And yet, we're so selfish. Let me just point out a current thing that I am seeing way too many Christians saying that proves they are selfish. Somebody says, black lives matter. And a response is, well, all lives matter. That is a selfish statement. It is a completely selfish statement when somebody's saying black lives matter because it's coming from people that are being persecuted, oppressed, and are going through things that we as white people can never understand. And for us to say, oh, well, all lives matter, that's our way of saying, well, my life matters too. And we're completely rejecting them. It's so ridiculous. Like, if you've got a street... And on your block, there's one house that's burning. And a firefighter comes in and they're starting to spray down that one. You're like, well, hey, why don't you spray down my house too? Because my house needs protecting. Your house isn't on fire. 
Stop focusing on yourself. Start loving your neighbor. Instead, how about you pour out of your own? Go grab your water hose and help them. I'm going to get worked up on this. (laughs) I should be done preaching by now. My timer ran out. I don't care. This is, yes, I hear you, phone. I heard you again. This is going to be the greatest one for me to try to edit. Logan, you're editing this message. Jesus is telling us that we need to love people. I'm not sure the majority of Christians know how to love. And that's a safe safe statement for me to make. One, I've got over a decade of pastoral ministry, and so I've seen a few things, and that's just the way it is. And two, I've read the end of the book. I've read Revelations. The seven churches, there were many of them who were deceived so much that Jesus had to tell them and remind them they were in sin. They couldn't even see it. And that was the majority. We need love to overcome that selfishness. I want to show you this this video clip here. It's from a guy named Pendulet. He's part of one of the most famous magic duos there is, Penn and Teller. One of the most famous magicians there is. And this clip is from a little story that he told about a man who had given him a Bible. And if you didn't know, Pendulet is an atheist, a very avid atheist. And a man gave him his bi- this Bible, and this is what he had to say. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And this is more important than that. Pendulette is saying, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share that with them? See, if, if God is calling you to do something, don't let awkwardness Don't let that uncomfortability get in the way of doing what it is that he has called you to do because lives are on the line. We we can't. We can't. We need the power to overcome our weakness. We need love to overcome our selfishness. When we realize how much God loves us, The only logical response is for us to love others that same way. That's the only logical response. 
But yet here it comes. I say logical response, and yet Christians are ignorant. And yes, that's a harsh term. Ignorant just means you lack knowledge. That's what ignorant means. And there are a bunch of Christians that just don't know better. They don't know. And unfortunately, Scripture tells us what happens when we don't know. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You see, we won't make the logical step because we can't use logic because we don't have a sound mind. Remember 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That word, sound mind, sophronismos in the Greek, it denotes to have a disciplined thought patterns, the ability to understand and make right decisions. That's what it's saying. It's having this ability to know different. Logan, if you would, pull up a number five for me. It should be the Holman New Testament commentary. I want you guys to see this. This comes from Holman New Testament commentary on 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, Fear is a driving force in society today. It is the main subject of evening news, the underlying premise of advertising and marketing. Fear often spawns confused thinking, irrationalities, and misunderstandings. Thoughts and speculations swirl in our mind when fear enters. This is why Christ calls us to healthy, orderly thought processes. Hey, pastoral ministry. I've been around a while. I've seen a few things. Confused thinking, irrationalities, and misunderstandings. If you've ever heard the phrase that church hurts are the worst hurts, it's because there are Christians operating in fear and it has spawned confused thinking, irrationalities, and misunderstandings. Oftentimes what is happening is people are misunderstanding one another. The reason that we get so upset when we sit there and, and no, let, me, let me talk about this. Colin Kaepernick wants to take a knee in football. He wants to kneel and protest. And we, myself included, get all frustrated and upset about that. Why do I get upset about that? Because of the men and women who have laid their lives on the line to defend this country. And for anybody to say that this country isn't great, it makes me frustrated and it makes me angry. Because men and women have died for this country and it's the greatest country there is in the world. Even with all of our flaws. But I misunderstand what he's saying. Just like we misunderstand what people are saying when they say black lives matter. And that misunderstanding is coming from fear. A fear that leads us to be selfish. A fear that leads us to not have a sound mind. But this misunderstanding is because we don't hear what they're saying. They're saying, Josh... You have a white privilege because you could be walking down the street wearing jogging shorts and a hoodie and you're not going to get a second glance. But because my pigment of my skin is different from yours, I not only get a second, I get a third, a fourth, and a fifth glance. I've never experienced that. 
I've never experienced that. The closest thing that I, that I could say that is that type of an experience was being in Africa, where I'm now the minority. And yet even that, the way they treated me is nothing like the way we're treating black Americans. And I'm saying we as in white America. I'm saying me and we as people who live in rural Iowa. We sit there and we see a rebel flag. And what do we think? Duke's a hazard. Just them good old boys. Fighting government oppression. But what does black America see when they see a rebel flag? They see lynchings. They see slavery. And yet we like what we like. And so we're not willing to hear them and to listen to them. And we misunderstand them. And we're all confused. And it's irrational. And we have this country that is so divided. Thoughts and speculation swirl in my mind. Oh, well, they're just saying that so they can take over. No, we're just ignorant. Ignorant. They're not, no, nobody's wanting to take over. They're just wanting to live free in a nation that says we're the land of the free. And we as Christians, if we had sound thinking, we would understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If we understood that, if we could focus on the first things, if we could focus on the most important eternal things. See, those are the most important eternal things for those of us who are spiritual beings. But for the carnal man, for the natural man, they don't understand that. They can only understand what's here in the now. And if that's all they can understand, let's show them a little bit of heaven here on earth. Let's show them what it's like when we don't see male or female, when we don't see black or white. If we could do that, we'd be continuing what Jesus started. And that's what Acts is all about. That's what the day of Pentecost was all about. It was about giving us the same power, the same love, the same sound mind by the same spirit that Jesus had. Giving us that power so we could continue the work that Jesus began. Acts chapter 1, it starts off and... Luke writing, he says, The former account that I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Jesus began it. Now guess who's going to continue it? If we are the body, maybe we will do what Jesus told us to do. And maybe we will start acting like Jesus acted. We need to ask ourselves some serious questions. How has God called us to continue what he began? And see, here's where, here's where some of the confused thinking, the irrationalities, the misunderstandings, they start to enter in. It's when we start to think that just because I'm doing something this way, you have to do it this way. 
We think just because our church is meeting like this, that the church down the street has to meet like this. Or, or because churches never stopped meeting, somehow we're wrong for stopping meeting in, in person. We start to oversimplify things because we don't have a sound mind. Because we're confused. Because we don't understand that we are one body, yet many members, and each member has its own work and its own supply. I don't expect any other pastor to pastor the way that I pastor because they're not me. And I am thankful when they don't do what I do because that would just be weird. That's right, I'm saying I'm weird. No amens out of you, Kira. She was thinking it. This is... How has God called me to continue the work that he began? How has God called you to continue the work that he began? What part of your life needs more power to overcome some weakness? What part of your life needs more love to overcome some selfishness? What part of your life needs more of a sound mind? to overcome your ignorance. See, when we're full, we don't need any more. And so if we need more, we're not full. And I believe that just like on the day of Pentecost, when they needed a filling of the Holy Spirit, they got it. And if we need a filling of the Holy Spirit, we'll get it. Anybody watching online, if you need filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll get it. You see, these disciples, this 120, there were really two things that they had done. They were united in their thinking that Jesus told us we needed this. And so we're going to wait until we get it. And then they prayed. And they didn't stop praying. That's all. If we will do that, we will get that. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you so much for the provision that you have laid out for us, that each and every one of us could be filled by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, right now, for those that are hearing the sound of my voice, for those that are in need of more power, for those that are in need of more love, for those that are in need of more of a sound mind, Father, I just ask that you would fill them right now. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with power. Fill them with love. Fill them with a sound mind so that they can continue the work that your son began, the work that you have called us to fulfill. Filled. Filled and full in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.